What a blessing it is to be inside in the house of God as well. Wherever we meet, it's always a blessing. We're opening our Bibles to the book of James chapter 3. And today we're going to talk about the member in the body that has done more damage, caused more hurt now, created more division than anyone else in the church. <laughs> now I'm not talking about a person, but I'm talking about the tongue. The tongue. It has historically been the member of our bodies that has caused more hurt, created more division, and has caused more damage in the church than anyone else. The tongue is so dangerous, it can gossip, it can backbite, it can be destructive, it can come off with so much negativity and curse other people. And here exactly what James is going to do as what he's already done is give us the characteristics of a mature Christian. Give us the characteristics of a mature believer, one that has a genuine faith. And he's already told us through James chapter 1 that the genuine or the mature Christian, number one, is patient in trials. The mature Christian is patient in trials. Number two, the mature Christian practices the truth in chapter 2. But in chapter 3, what he wants to tell us is that the mature Christian has power over the tongue. <laughs> the mature Christian has power over the tongue. That's why if you're taking notes, I want to give you the title of today's message. And the title of this morning's message is, Watch Your Words. <laughs> Watch Your Words. How many of us need that reminder? that encouragement, that exhortation today to watch our words because today we're going to find out the power in your words. The power in your words. You see, the Christians that he was writing to, James was, were, they had a very serious problem with the tongue. And I know that none of us here have that same problem. It was just them. <laughs> now all of us here have a problem with the tongue. That's exactly why James already told them in James chapter 1 that they ought to be slow to speak and slow to get angry. Swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to get angry because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He's already reminded them. He's already prepared them now to be slow when it comes to speaking. You see, the power of our speech is one of the greatest powers given by God. Even today, we claim freedom of speech. You always learn that when someone has now the power of words and the power of communicating, now they open up in a completely different world of dialogue for them. I was driving last night to church with uh, uh, my son Caleb, which is two years old, down to the church, and I called my wife on the Bluetooth, and he talks too much. If you've ever you know, said hi to him, you know that he just, when you get him started, he goes talking. But as we were driving over, I have my wife on the Bluetooth, and he finds out it's my wife, and he peeks over and says, Mom, do you want In-N-Out or Chick-fil-A? <laughs> and he just offer, I mean, he just talks so much that he now has the power to communicate and to offer now. And it's so interesting that when the tongue now is activated, how much it can do. It is the greatest power that is given to us by God. Just think about it. With the tongue, you can worship God. With the tongue you can now preach, with the tongue you can pray, with the tongue you can lead someone to the Lord, with the tongue you can encourage someone, but with the same tongue you can discourage someone. 
With that same tongue, you can curse someone. With that same tongue, you can ruin someone's reputation. With the same tongue, you can break someone's heart. That's exactly why we need to watch our words. And we must speak. And we must act as though we were already giving account for our words. Did you know that you're going to give account for every single one of your words? And that your words now weigh and have a power to affect someone else's life? In fact, what are you going to choose to do with your words? Are you going to choose to uplift and edify someone to build, to construct, or are you going to criticize? Because oftentimes we want to be very critical and not constructive with the words that God has given us. That's why today we're going to look at the, verse, the first 12 verses of James chapter 3. When he talks about the power that the tongue has, number one, the power to direct, number two, the power to destroy, but also the power to delight, so that you can encourage someone, the power to direct, the power to destroy, but also the power to delight. James chapter 3 verse 1, it says, My brethren, let many of you, let not many of you, become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able to also bridle the whole body. Indeed, we also put bits in horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word. We ask that you would give us the conviction of your word. We ask so that you would give us the conviction, Lord, that we ought to watch our words because our words carry a lot of weight. And we ask that you would let us use this power of speech, Lord, to worship, to pray, to lead others to you, God, and not to destroy. That our lips may not be filled with negativity, but that our lips will be filled with grace, so that they encourage, our words encourage those that hear them. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we said. Now notice what it says here, chapter 3, verse 1. My brethren, speaking to the church and talking about the power that the tongue has to direct, he says, I want you to know that you will be held accountable with everything that you say. Therefore, let me start with saying this when talking about using the words to direct, my brethren. Let, let many of you not become teachers. Now, why is he saying that? Why is he talking to the church about not many becoming teachers? Because everyone... In the church here that he's speaking to wanted to become a teacher. And they wanted to become a teacher for the wrong reasons. They wanted to become a teacher for the recognition, maybe for the position, for the influence, for the authority, maybe even for the prestige that came along with it. But they forgot that as they were teachers, it also came with a responsibility that they had to take very seriously. Do you notice how this is so important that he's telling us? Now, in fact, he says, if you're a teacher, you're going to be held accountable to a higher standard with everything that you're saying. 
Because you're serving in a capacity that you're using your words to tell of God's truth now. And it's so easy now to commit sins of the tongue as well. Now you notice why he's saying, I want you to be held accountable with your words. Especially if you're a teacher. So don't just become a teacher so loosely because you know that God is going to hold you accountable now. In fact, that's part of the leadership package that comes with a stricter judgment that he's talking about right there. That's the cost involved. And notice that he uses this word here in verse 1, no, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. What's a stricter judgment? Now it's talking about degrees of judgment that we will face before the Lord. Do you know that those that are teachers are going to stand before the Lord and are going to have to answer to God as to what they said in private as well as in public and how they use their words because they're using their words to communicate the truth of God's Word. And you're called to be an example. And just like you're called to be an example, you should serve as an example with the words that you say. Because your words carry a lot of weight. You're a mouthpiece to God. In fact, in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, what did Jesus say? Too much is given, much more will be required. You're giving this influence. With that influence now comes greater responsibility. With leadership now is imposed a greater responsibility. And that's exactly what he's telling them. Now you would ask yourself, well, what kind of teacher? Well, maybe it's, if you're a teacher in the children's ministry, this applies to you. It's any teaching now position. You're teaching maybe the men's group or you're teaching maybe even a woman's group or you're teaching now even the whole body of Christ. And whatever teaching position that you are in, you must be careful that you're watching your words because your character now is more important than your gift. And I want you to remember that today. Your character is more important than your gift. And your words say a lot about your character. Your words say a lot about your character. Now think about how much damage can be done by a teacher who is unprepared, who is spiritually unfit, whose spiritual life is not up to par, and off the pulpit or, or in private, their words or behind the scenes are not words that are glorifying God as one that is to communicate the truth of God's word. That's exactly why our words in private, behind the scenes, matter just as much as your words in public before people. Do you see why this is so important here? In fact, he's going to tell us in verse 2 this, For we all stumble in many things. We all trip up. We all fall. And the word verse 2, where it says stumble, he's not talking about a fatal fall where you can't get up. That's not what he's referring to. When he says stumble, he's talking about something that trips you up, and something that hinders and holds back your spiritual growth. All of us stumble because we're not perfect. Now he's not excusing stumbling, but he, now he's only now telling us the obvious that this is a constant struggle of ours as we're walking in our sin nature. Everyone stumbles in different ways. Everyone stumbles. But now look what he says here in verse 2. But if anyone does not stumble in this area which is the area of your words here, if anyone does not stumble in word or in your words, he is a perfect man or he is perfect in maturity. Notice this, able also to bridle the whole body. He's able to bridle everything else. If anyone doesn't stumble in your words, this is how sensitive this topic is. 
That if someone is, is able to bridle their words and never stumbles in the area of their words now, this person is perfectly mature. And because they don't stumble or they have that area in their lives under control, then they have every other area in their lives under control. You see what he's saying here now that if a person is not stumbling, what does stumbling mean? How do you stumble in your words? What is it that we do that makes us stumble in our words? Well, when we complain, we're stumbling. When we're gossiping about someone else, we're stumbling. When we're speaking bad about somebody else, we're stumbling in our speech now. Maybe we're lying or being uh, critical, we're slandering, or, or our, our words are filled with bitterness, or we become, we become very emotional with our speech, or very disrespectful and sarcastic. Or think about this, think about when your words, and you're, you're exaggerating something. You're also stumbling as well. And you're becoming very immature with your tongue. And this is exactly what he's telling them this. He's saying, if you don't stumble in these areas, if you are free, if you are, are, are free of any type of guilt now when it comes to these, and you have the self-discipline to control your tongue, you will have the self-discipline to control the entire body. <laughs> and we all know that we cannot control the, all, the entire body, which tells us that we do not have, and we have to continue to, to work on controlling the tongue. Because the power of the tongue must be under control. The power of the tongue must be under control. That's what he's telling us. And if you can control the tongue, he's assuming, he's telling us, then you can maybe control the rest of yourself in every other way. <laughs> because the power to control the tongue is one of the most difficult things to do. Now notice as we continue reading verse 3, as he tells us how such a small member of your body has such a big impact. He says this in verse 3, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouth that they may obey us and turn as we turn their whole body. Now you see when a horse is being ridden as a bit in its mouth, and as, as that bit in the mouth, as the rider now moves that, that bridle, and as it has that bit attached to his mouth, it controls the entire body. And the horse, which is a wild, strong animal, is under control, is under submission. And that bit now causes the horse to obey and to fall in line and to be under submission his entire body. And that's what he's talking about. Look at a small bit. It can be strong enough, this small bit strong enough to control a wild animal. Think about the dynamic effect the bit has. Now, look in verse 4. Think about the illustration he gives us now. Look also at ships. Look at a large ship. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds. Or look at a large ship even though they are driven in storms with heavy winds and rain that are being against the ship, even though they're going through those environments. Notice this. They are turned, even in those environments, they're turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Now you see that the large, powerful ships, they have engines, right? But they also have a rudder. And that rudder controls it from turning even in the storms, even as it goes through the winds, even as it goes through the now uh, storms that are beating against that boat and turning it in that ship from one way to another. Look at the rudder, as small as it is, it still has the power to control or to accomplish such a great thing on a large ship. It has a significant power to direct. It can direct the ship one way or it can direct the ship another way. 
the bridle, the bit on the horse's mouth. It can move the horse one way or it can move the horse another way. But notice this, that the bit and the rudder are small, but they're extremely important. Likewise, the tongue is small, but it's extremely important. Now notice, when it comes to the bit and the rudder, we, we see that the bit and the rudder are going contrary to the, now maybe the bit, the, the wild nature of the horse, that the horse in its wild nature, he wants to not rebel, he wants to kick, he wants to do whatever he wants. So the bit is going against the wild nature of the horse. The rudder is going against the wild now environment that that ship is in. And so likewise, our sin nature wants to control our tongue to cause us to sin. Now we have to really be aware of this. That our sin nature wants to control our tongue and cause us to sin. And that's exactly why he's giving us this illustration now. Because just like the rudder and just like the bit, if they are not in control or they are not controlled, the entire horse or the entire ship is out of control. <laughs> Have you ever seen someone's life where their tongue is not controlled? Their entire life is out of control. And he's giving us this illustration to tell us what a small now member have, has a great impact in the body or in the rest of the body. There are often times that, that we sin inside because of pressures in the inside or outside. We're, we're, we're sinning as well, but guess what it's all about when it comes to the tongue? It's because the tongue now is out of control. And here what he's saying is that we must control our tongue because our tongue now is that which keeps us in line with the will of God as well. Now someone would say, well, how is it that I can control the tongue? Well, I'm just going to not talk anymore. That way I don't say anything wrong. Have you ever told someone, well, I don't like the way you told me that. And all of a sudden, well, I'm not going to talk to you then. And they want to give you the silent treatment then. But no, that's not what God's called us to do. God's called us to submit our tongue, to submit our words under the power of the Holy Spirit, under Jesus Christ. Because when our tongue is submitted to Christ, we don't have to fear to say the wrong words. And we don't have to fear also even to say the right words in the wrong way. Because our tongue, our heart is completely submitted now to the will of God. And we're able to say, Lord, protect my mouth. I love what David the psalmist said in Psalms 141 verse 3. He said this, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips now. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked words with the men who work iniquity, and do not let me eat of their delicacies. You know what David said? Lord, come and keep my mouth and my lips on check. Because I don't want to do something with my words and with my lips that do not honor you. Now notice this, when Jesus is the Lord of your heart, He's also the Lord of your lips as well. And your lips now speak about what's in your heart. We've learned through Scripture that, that our lips really direct now our life and our lips also tell us specifically what's in our heart. That's why Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And He tells us constantly to protect your heart. Your heart is desperately wicked. It is deceitful. It is emotional. It will lie to you. So we must protect our heart because whatever is in our heart is going to come out of our mouths. Do you see why this is so important now? And here He's talking about how the tongue 
can direct your life. Just like the bit directs the horse, just like the rudder directs the ship, your tongue can direct your life. And if it has power to direct your life, that means that it can affect the lives of those around you as well. Now I want to ask you, are you directing others around you with your words the right way? Because oftentimes we are directing others the wrong way with our words. Just think about the, if the rudder was broken, it would not direct the ship the way it should go. You think about if the bit wasn't fastened on that bridle, it would not direct the horse where the horse needs to go. If our tongue is not under control, it's not going to direct ourselves, or is it, we are not going to be led the right way, and it's not going to be directing others the right way as well. Now notice, also from verse 5 through 8, we're going to see not only that the, power, the tongue has the power to direct, but also has the power to destroy. Look how, how much damage the tongue can do. And in verse 5 it says this, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles? Look at the damage that a tongue can do, just a little member. Look, look what a great influence, look at a great impact it does. In fact, look how great it can exaggerate and it can boast. Have you ever heard someone tell you a story and then you found out the truth and you saw how exaggerated that story was? Now look at the tongue, how it can do. It can boast about great things. But also see how small a spark can make a great forest fire. We often see the fires here in Southern California. And they're wild fires. They don't call them just fires. They call them wild fires. But those wild fires begin with a small spark. Now think about how many times your tongue has started a wild fire. <laughs> a fire that did not have to be started. Because we chose to speak out of turn. We chose to say something that was not in our place to say. We let our tongue loose. Our tongue wasn't under control. It wasn't restrained. We must learn how to restrain the tongue. Now notice what he's saying here because it says a small spark can cause great damage. It can burn many now. It can destroy. Our words can start fires. And they can burn other people. Other people's reputation. Other people's heart. They can come in damage. Now verse 6, notice what it says. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is also filled with a world of sin because of our sinful nature. Among all its parts, it's so dangerous now. It's filled with a world or with a sinful nature that it speaks about here. And the tongue is so set among its members that it defiles the whole body. The tongue defiles. It means that it corrupts. The tongue pollutes the entire body. And this is what he wants to tell us. That an uncontrolled tongue corrupts the entire body. And it, it really what it does, it can set your whole life on fire. It can set your whole life now on fire by hell itself. Notice what it says here in verse 6. And sets on fire the course of nature. Because of sinful nature, it sets now your entire life or it will destroy your entire life if you don't control the tongue. Notice, and it is set on fire by hell, by sin itself. Why is it set on fire by hell? Because it's reminding us now that in our heart exists the sinful nature that we must protect. I love what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29. He says, He who has knowledge spares his words. 
He who has knowledge spares his words. And a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. You always know when someone is wise, when they choose and they select the words that they're going to say. But someone that is emotional, that's not of a calm spirit, they quickly want to go and maybe say one of the things and accuse and point the finger and use their words to destroy someone. And that's exactly what he's saying. Look at it. What a great impact. Now a small spark can start a wildfire. Just a small word. Well, I didn't really mean it that way, but it, it did start a wildfire. In fact, even in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, Solomon warns us about how we respond with our words. And I think sometimes we respond so quickly and emotionally. Somebody asks you a question and you all of a sudden become defensive and you, you start to go on the offensive side and start attacking people with your words. Has somebody asked you a normal question lately and instead of you answering it, you started to attack them? <laughs> you started to accuse them? Right? It happens so often to all of us. In fact, Solomon in Proverbs chapter 15 verse 1 says this, A soft answer, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. Soft answer, it turns away anger, it turns away argument, it turns away now dilemma, it turns away a, a now division, but soft words, a gentle word turns away now anger. When you have a soft heart, you will also have gentle words. When you have a soft heart, you will also have gentle words that are filled with grace. Are your fil words filled with grace? How do you respond? Now think about even when you're out driving and somebody cuts you off and you, you just start wanting to pull up and speed up. You're trying to catch up to them because you want to let them know how you feel. And that's exactly what happens sometimes in our response with our words. It's not only how you speak, but also how you respond. How are you responding to situations when you look at something, when you find out about something, when somebody comes and asks you a question, are you quickly emotionally now uh, set off with your words that you're going to destroy someone? That's not right. In fact, in verse 7, look what he says, For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed, and it has been tamed by mankind. He's going to give us a contrast now. Did you know that we can tame and we have tamed every wild creature? It's so amazing how you see wild animals that are tamed. Have you ever seen videos of just men playing with and women playing with just lions and wrestling with them? I always think that's crazy. <laughs> or playing with a, a bear or with a gorilla or something. And it's so insane how, how those animals have been tamed. And they can be tamed. They have been tamed. Even in their wild nature, even the most dangerous animals they can be tamed. But now he's going to give us here a contrast that, that if wild animals, we have tamed those, we do not have the power to tame the tongue. Do you see how he's saying, look at, look at the significant importance of us watching our words. Notice here in verse 8, but no man can tame the tongue. <laughs> you can't tame the tongue. But you can watch your tongue and protect your heart. Your words are not used for evil. Notice here. But we don't have the power now to tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Why is it that we can tame and put under obedience, put under submission a wild animal? Right? And notice this. I love what Warren Worsby said. 
When you tame an animal, you get a worker instead of a destroyer. <laughs> now think about this. If you were able to tame your tongue or to watch your tongue, you would get now a worker instead of a destroyer. What is your tongue? Is your tongue a worker for good or a destroyer for evil? What is your tongue doing today? What is it hired to do? Because in verse 8, what he's saying, no one can tame the tongue because it has an evil nature now. And it's beyond our control. It's restless. It's full of deadly poison. Now, deadly poison, you know what it means? It's full of deadly and lethal now poison that can kill. Now, notice what your tongue can do. A poison, it just you can drop one little drop of poison in, in, in a, a, a clear, white, pure glass of water. And guess what? Everything else is going to and it can be deadly. That's exactly how much now weigh your words come with. Now notice, let's keep reading verse 8. As we, it says here, it is unruly evil full of deadly poison. You can't control it. And sometimes you see and you've heard of stories where, where maybe even you know, someone has survived out in the jungle and they survived with a broken leg and they made it out to the hospital and they did everything within their self-discipline and control to be able to make it out in survival. Or you see a marathon runner you know, that has been training for the Olympics and they have the self-discipline to keep their body under control for that many years for every single meal to wake up early and to train their body and they can put themselves under that type of self-discipline but we still cannot put the tongue under self-discipline and under self-control. You see what he wants to tell us, the seriousness of it? He wants us to know that our tongue must be under the control of the Holy Spirit. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, Solomon again warns us. And he says this, In a multitude of words, sin is not lacking. That's why we have to watch your words. But he who restrains his lips, notice this, he who restrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver, he says, and the heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but the fools die for lack of wisdom. Are your lips feeding any? Are they feeding many? <laughs> you see how Solomon tells us that our lips ought to be those that feed many. The lips of the wise feed many. Why? Because they are rooted now in the Word of God. Now, not, not only do we see that the word, our words have power to direct, our words have power to destroy, but also our, our words have power to delight. Verse 9, it says this, With it, or with our words, with our lips, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. How is it that we worship God with our lips? And with those same lips, we curse men that were made in the image of God. We can't do that. We can't worship God or praise God our Father, which is our highest calling, and then curse men that were made in the image of God, which is our lowest evil now, and think that that's okay. It's hypocritical. It's an inconsistency now of the tongue's activities now. This is a double standard of the tongue. And it happens in everyone. You think about Peter's life. That Peter confessed now that Jesus was the Messiah. And then days later, he denied him by cursing with his words. You think about Jesus where he said, Jesus, I will never deny you. That's what Peter said with his words. But then just a few hours later, what Peter did is he denied Jesus with the cursing of his words. How the character of the tongue can change so quickly. We can praise God one minute. And the next minute, we can now be cursing people. That should not happen now. Verse 10, notice it says this. Out of the same mouth. 
Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and curses. My brethren, these ought not to be so. These are contradictory. This is impossible. This should not happen. It should not pour out of the same mouth. That we would worship the Lord and also curse other people. This is not right. This is not acceptable now. This is not acceptable. Have you ever gone to church and, and maybe came and, and you're worshiping the Lord and you love the song, your hands are raised high and you're singing out to the Lord, but you get in that car and your, your kids start to really upset you and bug you and you start to just yell and scream and you start fighting and, and what happened? You're not even out of the parking lot yet and people can hear you. <laughs> and that happens to us. That's why we have to watch our words. Continuously say, Lord, I want my words to glorify you. I want it to, my words to come out and be filled with grace. Filled with grace. That they would encourage you. Just think about this. When you gave your heart to the Lord and the Lord had your heart and He cleansed your heart. Guess what He also cleansed? He cleansed your lips as well. So that you don't talk that way anymore. So that you, you don't use those words anymore. And if you find yourself using those words, then you have to ask yourself, Lord, what part of my heart do you not have? What sin am I holding back in my heart that is allowing me to speak this way? Because it's coming out of my heart. That's where it's coming from. Do you see here what he's telling us? That, that, that man's words, what you say, are a reliable evidence or reliable evidence now or revelation of the inner character of, in your, of your heart. Your words are a reliable revelation of our character in our hearts. In Luke chapter 6, verse 45, what did Jesus say? A good man at the good treasures of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. It's an issue of the heart. It's not an issue of the mouth so much as much as is an issue of the heart. The mouth is just so sensitive that it will say everything that we feel. It will always try to give an opinion. It will always try to do something to destroy. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, what did Paul say? Let no, word, no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good and what is necessary for edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Make sure that your words are necessary. Now, if that's not necessary for you to say, then just don't say it. <laughs> a lot of times we say, well, I hate to say this. Well, then don't say it. <laughs> I wish I didn't have to, then don't. Oftentimes we say things that we shouldn't say. And we start a wildfire with our words because of an immature now faith that begins at the heart, not given and surrender to the Lord. When you surrender your heart, guess what comes along? Your lips, your tongue is surrendered as well. And you become a true worship of the Lord because that's where devotion starts. You can't say that worship starts from your lips. It starts from your heart. That's where it starts from. And if you find yourself saying a lot of things that, that are not glorifying the Lord, that you are filled with regret, then you have to go back to the prayer closet and say, Lord, how do I keep my heart on check? Cover now and set a guard over my mouth. Remember Joe when he was going through trials when he's saying, I'm putting my, my, my hand over my mouth. <laughs> Oftentimes when we're going through suffering, when we're going through injustice, when we're going through trials that we don't want to go through, you know what we do? We have to do just like Job did. Lord, I will put my hand over my mouth and not speak. Because I want to glorify you. Think about what you can do when you encourage someone with your words. How far-reaching encouragement can be. When was the last time you encouraged someone with your words? 
There are people that are afraid to encourage people. Did you know that? It's the craziest thing I've ever heard. That we're afraid to encourage someone. We should be so bold to encourage people to deposit courage in them. Because think about how much a timely encouragement or a word of encouragement can inspire someone, can encourage someone for the rest of their life. There is something I bet that you remember that somebody told you years ago because it means so much that you hold on to that and you continue going with what God's called you to do. Now think about the encouragement that you can do in someone's life. Well-timed encouragement. Has somebody ever told you what? You had no idea. I needed to what? Hear that. <laughs> I needed to hear that. Let God use you with those words. I needed to hear that. For me, it's so encouraging sometimes when somebody gives me a word of encouragement that I hold on to it. I say, Lord, thank you for this word of encouragement because I'm going to run with this. And now people are using words to speak, guess what? Life and not speak destruction. Are you using your words to speak life or speak destruction? In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, Solomon says this, Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. Worry in the heart of people, what does it cause? Depression. But a good word, a good word, just cheer them up with a good word, makes it glad, makes that heart glad. You see someone that is worried, that is filled with anxiety, guess what you do? Go and encourage them. Don't just talk about them. Don't say, well, did you hear about that person? That they're battling with anxiety or they're depressed. Don't say that. Go and encourage that person because it makes their heart glad. That's why it's so important for us to come together, to hear words of encouragement. When you turn around and you say hi to someone, don't pretend like you didn't see them. Just turn around. Some of you don't even say hi to just You guys just turn around just sit down again, right? I've seen it many times in church. Whether we do that, I've been guilty of it myself. We look around. But that's a moment now for you to deposit a word of encouragement into someone or even after as you stay out after service. Or as you call someone, you text, you, you reach out. In Proverbs 16 verse 24 it says, Pleasant words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Pleasant words, beautiful words, words of encouragement, they're like honeycomb. They're so sweet and they become healthy to the life of someone else. Now verse 11 this is what it says. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Do you think a fountain from that same opening gives you fresh water, but it also gives you bitter water? No, it doesn't. Do you think you can get complaining from the same now uh, fountain and, uh, and now uh, encouragement from the same fountain? Do you think you can get fresh and bitter from the same place? No, you cannot do that. Notice what it says here, verse 12. Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No, that's not what happens. A fig tree doesn't bear olives now or a grapevine doesn't bear figs. That does not happen that way. Thus no spring yields both salt and fresh water. This is inconsistent. You can't get bitter and fresh from the same fountain. Now you're saying you can't get... A, 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 now, figs now here from, uh, now a, a, from a fig tree, you can't get olives. And he's saying, he's talking about the inconsistency here that you cannot use your tongue to praise God and to destroy people. You shouldn't be able to get it from the same places. It should not exist. You think that a fig tree produces olives and, and grapevine produces fig trees? That is unnatural now. 
So why does He give us these comparisons now when it comes to now the water that's fresh and the water that's bitter or the fruit that a tree produces? Why does He tell us this? Because a genuine believer, notice this, a genuine believer will not contradict his profession of faith. And that's what he's talking about, faith. Entire book of James, a genuine believer will not contradict his profession of faith with the regular use, with the regular use of unwholesome words. If you have genuine faith, you have a profession of faith, a genuine profession of faith, you will not contradict that profession of faith with the regular use of unwholesome words. How do you use your words? Do you talk bad about people all the time? Because it is unnatural for a Christian to continue to live in words of sin. And we shouldn't do it. And I pray that we are convicted today. In fact, I want to ask you this. As I was reading, the Lord even you know, gave me this illustration. Just imagine as if someone recorded you all day long. They recorded everything you said without you knowing. And at the end of the day, they played it back to you. Do you think you would be blessed? Do you think that you would be blessed by the things that you hear that came out of your mouth? You know what I love about the example that we get through Jesus? It's that in John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus says this, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak, now it says to you, are spirit and they are life. Are the words that you speak spirit and life? Are the words that you speak true now? One of the reasons why Jesus was able to speak the right words at the right time, it was because he had communion with the Father. He had a heart that was fully praying and submitted to the Lord. And he was able to speak because he first knew what it was like to listen to the voice of God. You can't speak until you first learn what it means to listen to the voice of God. A lot of us, we want to be great speakers, but nobody wants to be a great listener. And when you listen to the voice of God, and you let the voice of God penetrate your heart and your mind and your life, guess what? Your words can be used now to bless other people. It's an issue of what? The heart. That's why we have to let our spiritual roots grow down deep into God's Word and cultivate our heart and be filled with the Word of God. Be filled with prayer now. So that our hearts are filled with the love and the truth of God's Word now. And then our words after that change. We can't change our words and say, Lord, later change my heart. No, let your word, the roots of your heart, sink deep into the word of God and into prayer so that later then your words are then also changed. Now, as the worship team comes forward, I'm going to give you just a few words that if you sincerely use them and mean them now, you mean what you say, God will use you to be a blessing to people and an encouragement to others. These are words that we've heard before. These are words that we need to use. These are words that we need to take time, that we need to be intentionally now practicing and exercising and say today, I want to exercise words that give life, not words that destroy. These are words that maybe you've heard about, but we pass them up very quickly. The words of number one, please, and thank you. How many times have you not shown those words, please and thank you. Because when you use the word, please and thank you, you know what you're doing really? Not only are you showing appreciation, but you're treating others as people and not as things. You're treating others as people and not as things. And you're giving them a heart of appreciation. Please and thank you. Now notice also, but when you say I'm sorry, when was the last time you used, you said I'm sorry? You went and asked for forgiveness. How about using our words to say things like that? I'm sorry. You know what I'm sorry does? It breaks down walls. 
It breaks down walls of division. It breaks down walls of separation and it creates unity. It cultivates unity. That is a way of cultivating unity, saying, I am sorry. And maybe today you need to go say sorry to someone that's in your home. Maybe today you need to go say sorry to someone that you've harmed with your words. Or what about this? I love you. Isn't that a difficult one for us to say sometimes? You know why what keeps you away from saying I love you oftentimes? Is the nature of our pride. Why? Because we're scared to be vulnerable. We're scared as what's going to happen the moment that I say I love you. And I tell someone how I feel about them. And I'm not just talking about a spouse. I'm talking about us as brothers and sisters. We should never be scared of saying that to one another. Because we're called to love one another. We're called to say that to one another. We're called to be intentional about it. And it carries a lot of power in that statement. Or what about this last one? I am, this is the, the, I just love this one. I am praying for you. I'm praying for you. Imagine if you use those words to say, you know what? I'm praying for you. Not just think the words. Not just say, well, I am praying. But when was the last time you told, you told the person you're praying for that? You told your, your children. You told your spouse. You told someone at church. You told your coworker, I'm praying it for you. It's been said before that when you talk to God about people, when you talk to God about people, then you can talk to people about God. The reason sometimes that we can talk to people about God is because we haven't talked to, the, to God about those very same people. When you talk to God about people, then you can talk to people about God. And lastly, we need to give God our tongue and our heart each day and ask Him, Lord, here's my heart, I surrender it. Here's my will, here's my tongue. I want it to breathe a blessing.